Yes, please be seated. It is a joy to be with you today, and uh, I thank you for, uh, for the opportunity just to share what God has done for me. That's been my prayer all week as I've prayed for you and for me and for what God would, would speak. And, uh, and just hearing over and over, just tell them what I've done for you. So, I remember the first guy that I saw in uniform that was just such a thrill. He was a Marine Corps recruiter. I was 13 years old and on a high school or a, a middle school field trip to the University of Florida. I'm from Gainesville, Florida. And, and just seeing this Marine recruiter out there with all of the stuff and in that magnificent uniform, you've seen it, it's, they, uh, Marines got the best uniform, let's be honest, okay. And, and with those medals and, and just tall and strong and got that cut and just looked great. And, and uh, of course I'm 13 and he's got the hard sell going. He knows I'm not gonna be anytime soon eligible for the military, but, but he's telling me all about the GI Bill and all the benefits and, and of course I'm enamored by this this uniform and this great stance and this fit, fit uh, marine and all of those shiny medals that just filled his chest and uh, it was great recruiting job, absolutely. And, and so it was just great to, to hear all those things and I remember another young man, Willie B. Nelson and I, we ra as we ran away because the teacher was calling us back, we said, we'll see you when we join. Well. You know, a lot of years went by, and as you might know, I'm not in the Marine Corps, I'm, I'm in the Air Force, but, but I have learned some things about the, the, the military. Uh, the, while we enjoy the, the look of this great uniform, and I was enamored by, the, by those medals, and, and I always thought, you know, I wanna wear that uniform, that'd be just great, sign me up, you know, and, and take me out to the, the place where I can put that uniform on. Well, you know where the place to put the uniform on is boot camp. And, and when you go to boot camp and you're as gullible as I was to think, well, now, well, show me where I'm in uniform. Let me put all those medals on and look so good. Son, that's not the way it starts. <laughs> you know, the benefits may come, but it's really about learning the life of fighting for your country. It's about crawling through the mud. It's about being given orders. It's about learning the discipline of, a, of the life of a soldier, an airman, a marine, a guardian. It's about learning what it means to not be served, but to serve your nation and to do that. And, and you know, I ended up doing that in the Air Force. And that is true, same kind of, not quite as, as stringent as the Marine Corps boot camp but definitely going through all of the things. And of course it didn't end there after going through the Air Force officer program and going through the chaplain schools, you know, then comes the life of, of moving around, going where you're told. In fact, when I would put a list down of all the places I would wanna go, the Air Force would use that to, to determine where not to send me. I mean, it's amazing how that works. Tell us where you wanna go and they don't send you there. And, and tell us, you know, they, they say, well, you'll be there probably three years. Sometimes it was four, sometimes it was two and a half, sometimes it was two. And then also, by the way, you're gonna be deployed. So I've had four deployments. My boss, who's an Army Ranger chaplain, he's been deployed nine times. And out of that nine times, one of them was 15 months. So the time away with family, the time in 155 degree, I didn't know it could get that hot, but in Camp Buka, Iraq, where I was at a detainee operation with the Army, it gets that hot, believe me. Uh, the, so, the, so the life, the life of what it means to wear that uniform is very different than just looking at the, 
the shiny metals and the and the, the sleek uniform and the look there's a there's a life that goes with that set of benefits as we enter into the gospel lesson today we see the same thing happening we see that Jesus has spent all this time with his disciples. If you go through Mark 4 and 5 as he records what Peter told him about Jesus' ministry and about the experience, you see all of the great things that Jesus is doing. He's, he's healed a woman with an issue of blood. He's calmed a storm, so he showed power over nature. He showed power over healing. And they then go and he heals that garrison demoniac, that crazed person casts out a demon. He's got power over all spiritual forces of wickedness in the world and in the universe. And then he raises a dead child and gives him back to the parents. I mean, if you think about it, these disciples that have just been called and said, follow me, look what you get to do. Look what your life gets to be like. They're walking and marching along this road of victory. There's a lot of things that have been going on and it's all good. Because a disciple, when, when a rabbi called a disciple, the disciples are coming to train to be like the rabbi, to do what the rabbi does, to be like the rabbi is, to enjoy all the benefits and liabilities of what does it mean for that rabbi to live. And so the same thing they did with Jesus. And right now, there's lots of benefits. Right now, they see themselves casting out demons, having the power over nature. And then Jesus brings them to his hometown. You'll notice right away at the end of chapter 5, Jesus has just raised that child to new life, to life. And then it says, and then Jesus and his disciples, they followed him, and he went to his hometown. There's a new lesson of boot camp that Jesus is starting to show his disciples, that it's just not all uniforms and medals. It's just not all GI Bill and benefits, that there is a life that comes with this, that has its strains, its stresses, and its challenges. And it, you, as a disciple, you'd better be ready for that. You better, you have, and you, to, to wear that uniform of Christ, you have to go through that boot camp and understand what it means to be trained as a disciple. We are in a war ourselves, a spiritual war, where Christ, our captain, has come and given us great victory, but we are still in the trenches, slogging away. And so Jesus gives us an opportunity to see what does it mean to follow him? And so through the chapter of, of Mark, and as, as Father Peter leads us next week, we'll, we'll look at this, these aspects of this boot camp that Jesus is making sure his disciples see the reality of what it's like, and we get a t an opportunity to, to see that too. So what we see here is a really beautiful snapshot, an anthropologist's dream of a family. Jesus comes back home. All in just a small town, Nazareth. He comes, they come with him, and they, they get to meet the family. And you and I get to meet them too. We know what's going on here. We see that Jesus has his mom there. Now, Joseph is not there. Jo there, there, is, there is tradition and biblical understanding that Joseph probably had passed away at this point. So you have Mary, a widow, then you have four brothers. Now, you have the Grecianized version of these names, but their real names were Jacob, Joseph, named after 
his dad, Joseph, Shimon, uh, Shimon, Simon, and Judah. So around the room and around the table and out in the yards, that's what they were called. That's what mama called them to bring them in to dinner. And so you have this family and sisters, not just one, there's more. Well, they could be two, they could be four. So you have a family of minimum seven kids in this family. With Jesus being the John boy, the oldest one, the, the stepbrother, being the, the son of Mary and the son of the father. And, and so we have a snapshot of this family and this community right here. And in the midst of this, we begin to see the difficult boot camps building. Jesus is there with his family. And as he begins to speak, we find out that he wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. That, that his loyalty, his loyalty had shifted. His loyalty, which was supposed to be by culture to his family, to his widowed mom and to the siblings, had shifted to the father. That, that we see this and know that in tradition that, that the oldest son not only received all of the inheritance or 90% of it, he received the, the business, the business of a tecton, which is a laborer, a carpenter, a stonemason, somebody that worked on homes and built farming equipment, that he, ran, he was now responsible to run the business. He inherited it all. But in inheriting it, he was responsible to raise the rest of the kids, to take care of widowed mom, to take care of his four brothers, to make sure they all got married, make sure that the, that the bride prices for the, for the daughters were taken care of, make sure that he negotiated all of those things. That was his responsibility, to raise the rest of the family, to take care of the family business, and to provide for the widowed mom. And he's off on a preaching mission. He has given that over to his younger brothers at, when he turned 30. So about six months ago, six months before this, he was still doing his business. And then, then at 30 years of age, which is the age of a Le Levitical priest taking over responsibility, he turns and he begins to do the father's business. But they're upset at that. His priorities are messed up, according to them. Why is he not taking care of his family? He has a world to save. His priorities had to shift. His loyalty had to shift. And in a way, Jesus is powerfully teaching his disciples about this same thing, that our loyalty can no longer be to other things, but to, only to him. He, he pulls the loyalty of his disciples and said, if you are going to follow me, you must listen to me. I am the Lord, and you will follow in my footsteps. Now, each of us is a uniquely created being. God has designed you. God has birthed you at a time in this world history to belong to him and to follow him. But first, we have to be loyal to him. That is priority number one. What does it mean for you to follow him? I, I remember when my wife and I were dating back in the early 80s, and I had already had a strong call into the ministry and was pursuing that. And we talked a lot about that, 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 that if, if we got married, that she would have to know, and of course she told me the same thing, that our first priority, my first priority is Jesus Christ. Her first priority is Jesus Christ. That is the key loyalty. And in that loyalty, then God, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, gives me love 
for my wife, his love, not mine, his, for her and for our children. And that's my prayer for the, my kids is that they will find a husband or a wife who will love Christ first and foremost and then love them as Jesus loved the church. That our first loyalty is to him. And we all struggle with that, I'll be honest. I mean, that is honest, that is the first struggle as a newbie Christian, we, you know, going into boot camp that we become. The first struggle moving from loyalty to self to loyalty to Christ. And I see this a lot, you know, in kids as they're growing up in the youth ministry, I was a youth director, is, to, is we first start with realizing that Jesus loves me and has this wonderful life for me, and so therefore I have all these benefits. Therefore, for I receive Christ because of how much he loved me and what he gives me. So I have a lot of reception from Christ. This, the, the, but the maturity in Christ is, is when we begin to realize that that loyalty means that our priorities shift. That it's not just us getting from Christ what we can get from Him. It's not just Him answering our prayers and doing what we want. It's not just Him coming along with me, getting in my car, and off we go. But Him taking over the driver's seat. He is the one who directs and guides my priorities and my loyalties. And that's a struggle for all of us. You know, in my... In, just in moving in the military ministry, that was a struggle. I had been a pastor for 13 years in Florida, uh, Miami, survived Hurricane Andrew, had to put together a church again, started a new church down in Citrus Springs. And then when God called me to go active duty military, I was in a church about this size. We were getting ready to build a new 23,000 square foot discipleship center. We had 100 youth in our youth program. We were set right between a high school and a middle school. And throughout the week, we had kids in and out. We were growing 100 people a year in our, in our, our church growth. I mean, it was just exploding. And then God called me into the ministry to go into the Air Force. And I actually didn't want to go. I didn't mind being a reserve chaplain, but I mean, I was on the board of directors for the Chamber of Commerce. I worked for the police department as their chaplain. I was fully embedded in the community. But God began to knock on my door and it was about two years in that I finally relented. And I, but I, I had been a reserve chaplain and I'd gone through the MEPS. MEPS is the medical thing. It's, it's like the cattle processing plant where you go through and you have to be examined. You know, you go through this line and they examine you. You know, it's something else. But when I got to the hearing part, they found that I had a hearing loss. I had been a, a police officer years before, and I did a lot of shooting, with, and I'd lost some hearing because with, with, I wasn't using hearing protection. And when I did the reserve program, the nurse said, look, you failed the hearing. You, you have a severe hearing loss in this ear, um, but I helped you. I, I, I let you, you know, I just kind of let you get through. She said, but, but just be aware, if you come back through ever, you, you will be disqualified from military service. And I said, thank you. Um, so, so when God called me into the ministry two years later to try to go active duty, I, I kind of threw that little bit of information out in case the Lord didn't know about it. I told him, I said, now, you're calling me to go to the ministry in the, in the military, and I'm happy in the pastorate, but as you might not know, I was told that I have a hearing loss. And and so he pressed and pursued, and I tried to explain. And, and so anyway, I went to the MEPS with the direct 
desire to prove to the Lord that he was wrong on this. So I went through the maps and sure enough, with a little bit of a smile on my face, um, I failed it. You know, I failed the hearing test. I went back to did the duck walk and the whole thing, you know. And, and then I came back, did the hearing, and, the, and yep, I failed it again. And they said, you know what happens now, don't you? And I said, yes, I'm, I'm out. And she, they said, yeah, you are. Uh, well, take it up to the doctor. And I took it up, you know, standing in this long line, and the doc is signing these forms for people that are getting in and those that are not getting in. And so he puts, I put him up to the form, and he said, you know what this means? I said, yes, I know. Kind of like that, you know, like, see God, I told you. And he said, and he started looking through the forms. He said, I tell you what, you go have some lunch. You'll get a free lunch on the military, and then we'll process you out, and you're gone. And I went and had my victory lunch. And I came back, and, I, and, and he, he turned his, his book around to me, and he said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, well, he said, they just changed the regulation, the AFIs on me. He said, they, they um, you, you're supposed to have a certain decibel level of hearing. I said, yeah, and I don't have that, right? He said, no, you don't have that. He said, I said, well, I'm out. He says, well, no. He said, because they just changed the part that said with hearing aids. I said, I don't have hearing aids. He said, I know, but if you did have hearing aids, then you would be in. I said, okay. He said, you're in. <laughs> I'm like, you know, so, I, the Lord was, must have been right. It's, it's amazing. So what, what I've learned from that is that, you know, as, as Jesus calls us and empowers us, he also directs us. Now, we have a choice of whether or not, and this is an everyday thing, you know, am I going to be honest to my boss? Am I going to fudge these numbers? Am I going to do what I know the Lord Jesus wants me to do in, every, in this situation, in that situation? It's, it's a choice we make every day. But, but if we follow him, if we go his way, even though we're not quite convinced that, that this is the right way to go, because we just can't see it, if we follow, he will work that out. Obedience is the key. And so Jesus, as he is in this room with his family, and they are looking at his priorities, and they're seeing that, that he is not doing what they need him to do, what they want him to do, they do not realize that the weight of the world is now on his shoulders. The rest of us come and we support families. He came that he might bring life to the world. He came not to his own, he came even to his own and they didn't receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave them life. So, so Jesus is sharing with us too, what is our loyalty? What is our priorities as we walk along with him? We're not gonna be as popular as we thought we would. And we want to be, we wanna be liked. But when you follow Jesus, it's way more important to be liked by him and to follow him and to do the will of the Father than it is the will of the world. And I'm gonna focus just on this one last little portion here that kind of can get confusing. It was for me. It's why couldn't Jesus do miracles? What was going on with that? Is it that he couldn't do them? He wouldn't do them? It's the, the Greek is a little bit ambiguous here, but just that he did not have the dunama, the, the power to do them there and was startled at their unbelief. And that, I believe, is because people were focusing on trying to get him to do something outside, something external. Get rid of the Romans. 
You know, heal this person. Do something on the outside of man. I want you to do something that's, that's a benefit, that shows me the power of God to change my circumstances. You know, that's not, that's, that, that's our cry sometimes. We, we go to the Lord and we're having a difficult time. What do we want God to do? Change our circumstances, right? We want him to, to adjust the, the illness. We want him to, to cure, to heal. We want him to give us the money we need. We want, we want him to, to change the circumstances that our family is in so everything will all of a sudden work out. But what we find with Jesus is it's not the external power of God that is most transforming, but the internal power of God. That God is not so much looking to free us from Romans as he is from sin. That, that, he, that the greater power is the power to shape us from the inside out through God the Holy Spirit. That's where the real power of God lies, is shaping us from the inside out. And these folks, they just wanted him to demonstrate some kind of trick. But Jesus wanted to change the hearts and lives of people. That's what he came to do. As I look back at James or Jacob is a more appropriate name. He scoffed at Jesus through his whole life, through, through every, every day. I mean, we find Jesus in John, we find Jesus in John's gospel encountering his brother, James, and James is ridiculing him. He's mocking him. He and his brothers go to get Jesus and bring him home. They think he's nuts. There was nothing, nothing, no way that he was building up his brother, his half-brother, until after the resurrection. You know, he turned over the family to James in earthly life. But later, somewhere in the quiet privacy of a resurrection, Jesus showed himself to James and to Judah. And both of them have letters in the New Testament proclaiming Christ the Lord. God with us. Jesus is present for you and for me. He calls us to himself. He gives us his glory, but we walk with him through the boot camp of life. Will you proclaim him above all? Is he your loyalty? Or the priorities that he would give you, is that what you would do? Would you seek that the transformation of your life in Christ, as Paul said, it's not I who live, but Christ who live in me. Would that be your ultimate goal, to be like Christ? To have him transform you so to his image? Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, you give us yourself. We, we can only imagine what it was like on the cross for you to be rejected by men, but to be rejected by your family too and your neighbors. Must have been an extra extreme hurt, but yet you were willing to bear it all to give us life. For we give you praise and thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.